I used to I used to compete in professional rodeo when I was a young kid, and it taught me how to uh, set and attain goals. And I use that same thing uh, working within the sheriff's department through the promotional process and, and competitive work environments. And I use that same approach in this as well. Welcome aboard the High Fly Media Podcast, dedicated to sharing the stories and experiences of the amazing people who make aviation happen. From pilots like me to engineers, air traffic controllers and others, I'll explore their personal journeys, the challenges they've faced and the triumphs they've achieved. My name is Damien and I'll be your host. Whether you're a seasoned aviation enthusiast or new to the field, I invite you to join me as we take off on this journey of discovery. Get ready for an inspiring episode of the High Fly Media Podcast as we delve into the extraordinary journey of Doug Wolf, a dedicated career Deputy Sheriff. Doug served as Lieutenant and Dive Team Commander for the esteemed San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. However, upon retiring from the Sheriff's Department, he discovered a new path that would fuel his passion and transform his life. Today, we have the privilege of delving into Doug's incredible story of pursuing his dreams, turning his passion for woodworking into a thriving venture and embarking on a remarkable journey to become a commercial pilot. Sharing his gratitude to his social media followers, Doug expressed his surprise at the success of his woodworking venture, with the earnings from his wood shop not only funding 75% of his flight training, but also covering his plane payments and hangar rent. Doug's story serves as a testament to the power and passion and determination in making dreams a reality. Welcome, Doug, and thank you so much for coming along and joining us on the podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for even considering putting me on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? When I saw your story or your the post, um, uh, which was posted by a blog, I was just like, I have to talk to this guy. Like, you, you're an amazing story, in my opinion. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. For the podcast listeners, you'll notice that Doug doesn't share my accent. So Doug's actually currently sitting in a hotel room in in where was it again santa santa barbara santa barbara california, california. um so really appreciate that um doug are you currently sitting in a hotel room because of work or are you yeah no it's uh, it's work this is my route i uh fly here in the morning uh if they don't if the company doesn't have another route for me to fly i just hunker down here uh for till about four o'clock 4 p.m and uh, then I do a return flight home, uh, again, flying a Cessna caravan uh, with cargo. Beautiful. So that route from, I assume, San Bernardino up to Santa Barbara? Uh, Ontario, California to Santa Barbara, Santa yes. Barbara. Oh, okay. Uh, what kind of uh, flight time is that once you're airborne? Uh, it's about an hour and 10-minute flight time okay. in one way. And the organizing yeah. organization you work for is West Air, is that right? Yes, I work for West Air. It flies uh, uh, Cessna caravans owned by FedEx. Oh, lovely. This, like I mentioned earlier on, your story kind of really struck a chord with me because of, well, I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> and uh, with the, you know, longer term desire to get back into aviation and, and ultimately I'd love to get back into the seat of a caravan. Can you tell us a bit about you? So tell us whether or not, you know, aviation was something that was a passion of yours since you were a young fella or whether it came later on or whether you just said, oh, I'll give this a go. What's the Doug Wolf story when it comes to you sitting in the pilot seat? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of it was fear of retiring from the sheriff's department. You know, I'd spent 30, 31 years there. It was my home, my family, and uh, retiring from there, 
And uh, I was I was concerned what was going to happen to me because I've seen some of my friends that retire and uh, they age quickly. And uh, uh, I know myself, I probably play a lot of golf and drink and drink a lot. So it's like <laughs> I need to find something healthy to do or, or I want to be one of those statistics that that die early because they don't have the right thing to do every day to keep them motivated. So I, I started my woodworking business. Uh, thinking that that was going to be my um, that was going to be my retirement gig, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, making some pretty good money. I was buying some uh, really nice retirement guns and uh, <laughs> really nice high expensive whiskey. And I thought, you know, there's something I could probably do with this money that's a little more productive than what I'm doing. Um, and then later on, as I continued doing this and working, I was still working with the sheriff's department. I thought to myself, you know, I really need to, this, this is a fun gig, but it's not, it's not helping me with the camaraderie side of life that the sheriff's department gave me. I need to find something that, that I have a network of new friends and, you know, uh, uh, places to go every day and, and, and talk with people. So, um, my wife, my wife's a flight attendant for Southwest airlines and she, she, uh, we were talking one day, and she said, "Hey, you know, you should you should consider being a pilot." She knew with with the sheriff's department. I flew with the sheriff's department in helicopters all the time, so I did have this passion to be an aviator, but it just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, so when my wife brought that up, I was fifty five at the time, and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can make this work, but I'll I'll need to look into it. So I I talked to a couple of Southwest pilots uh, that my wife introduced me to. Some of them very encouraging, some of them not so encouraging. Right. So I was kind of like struggling with what, uh, how I was going to do it. So I, I went on a flight um, with a guy, and I, and I loved it. I thought, oh, my God, this is awesome. I, I, I'm going to do it. So I, I sat down, and I figured out what it was going to take, me being 55 years old, what my goals were, which my goal was to get a job. Uh, and with my age, I, I came to the conclusion that the only way that it would really work is if I got all of my ratings and a lot of my hours in within three years. Uh, if I couldn't do that, it almost wasn't worth it because, mm-hmm. you know, the age at 65 and, yeah. and, and all that stuff. So um, I went on a couple more lessons and uh, my instructor went off on vacation for two weeks. And when he came back, I had bought a little Cessna 150 to do my flight training in to save, save me some money. And uh, um, the rest was uh, history, man. I just, I just really got into it. Um, a, a big motivator to me was, again, my age. And also, I've already committed to this, not just with time, but money, that failure was not an option. I had to get through this because of the financial impact of buying the airplane and doing yeah. all this stuff, yeah. uh, what I was doing to my family. so And they were very supportive. So that's how I got started. And I just uh, I just plowed through the training and uh, – also, I also I had calculated too that okay, so if I needed fifteen hundred hours in three years, how many hours am I going to have to fly a week to do that? Mm. So I made sure that I flew every week that many hours, whether I was with an instructor or whether I was flying with other pilots. Or once I got my solo, I was out flying by myself. Gotcha. So it was 
I, I had my end game in sight from day one of that 1500 hours of three years. And I didn't quite make 1500 hours pretty close. I think I was at 1200 when I got the job with, uh, West air. And that was, um, about two and a half years. So right. I was pretty close to 1500 hours in three years. So where did you learn to fly? Obviously, you mentioned you were in your own 150. Where was that all done out of San Bernardino? It was done out of a small a neighboring city, Rutland's, um, uh, Rutland's Airport. Yeah. Okay. And did you do that through a, like a formal flying school? Because I understand in America it's a little bit different. You can get a CFI and just learn with a CFI. It's a bit different over here in Australia. So what was your story as far as learning goes? Yeah, so I, I really investigated you know, how I wanted to do this. And again, one of the things that I didn't want to do because of my age is go to an ATP-style school right. and have a sixty dollars to $120,000 bill at the yeah. end of it. And here I am, 55 at the time, you got to be 57, 58 years old. Am I going to make enough money to pay it back? Yeah, gotcha. You know, in, in my short amount of time. So that wasn't an option for me. Um, so I realized that I was going to have to do this with independent flight instructors. Mm -hmm. uh, I paid as I went. Um, I, I flew twice a week. We flew every morning at 6 a.m., two times a week. Uh, until I got my private and then I uh, moved on to my instrument and, uh, and, and did the same approach. Flew twice a week uh, with instructors, but then I flew on my own to, again, get those five hours a week. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an incredible effort. And, and I love the structure that you took to make that all happen. Like you set a goal and then you just achieved it step by step. Yeah. Like it seemed, kind of seems like an insurmountable goal to get to 1,500 hours in three years. Considering, well, I'm, I'm, you know, considering you weren't doing that as a job, but you made it right. your job from the sounds of it. Well, and that that is definitely one of the um, uh, the approaches that I took on it. Were, of course, I had my long range goal of having this, but I set lots of small range goals, achievable goals, to keep my motivation high. I used to I used to compete in professional rodeo when I was a young kid, and it taught me how to uh, set and attain goals. And I used that same thing uh, working within the sheriff's department through the promotional process and, and competitive work environments. And I use that same approach in this as well, because if you don't have those attainable goals, uh, I mean, almost it has to be daily. Hmm to keep that motivation up. It's, it's so easy to watch people and you see so, and I've seen so many people start this process and within a few months, discouragement sets in and they just kind of peter out. Mm. And I think a lot of it is because they didn't set those attainable goals and make those milestones and those feel good moments of, Hey, I did that. Hey, I, I passed 15 hours, this, whatever. I mean, they, they, they could be really insignificant goals, but if you set them and you can accomplish them, it does just motivate you to be uh, on it. Yeah. And to keep going. Yeah. That's, that's cool. incredible wisdom. And in fact, if, even if I think about my own experience and obviously you hop back to your own experiences, I achieved in a very short time, similar to yourself. But to be honest, I had a long-term goal, which was to fly for the Royal Flying Doctors. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly B200 oh, awesome. and, and do that kind of flying. And the caravan was a step to that because that boarding caravans and PC-12s here in Australia. But it was a bit odd for me. I hadn't really given myself those intermediate goals that you're talking about. So, you know, if I could relive that again, which you can't, but if I could, 
then that's probably what taking away what you've said that's probably what i'd plug in there is the intermediate goals to feel like i was achieving and i was getting to that end goal so that's incredible wisdom especially for anyone who is currently on their journey um to make sure you've got these intermediate goals what uh, what kind of challenges did you face along the way? Well, and I'll preface that with you sounds like in a fairly different position to most training pilots that would be going through that part of their journey where you're able to purchase an aeroplane. But that aside, what other challenges did you face and, and how did you get them along them? What motivated you to keep going? Well, I mean, there are lots of challenges. I mean, a lot of them uh, that I faced uh, often were, of course, those roadblocks of, you know, plateauing or, 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 or you can't control the instructor. You know, he's taken the week off and, you know, you're really motivated to keep going. Um, Just those things that speed bumps that occur during the process that, you know, you got to, you got to figure out um what you can do to keep motivated when those things happen and and you know of course when my instructor would send me a message or a text saying hey i can't make it today i just didn't take the day off i went and did ground school you know i did i did something to help move me forward yeah i didn't allow other people's planning to dictate what's going to happen to me there's other things to do other than fly there's lots of studying there's lots of everything so um again just trying to get you know constantly getting those hurdles thrown at you and dealing with them and keeping your chin up was of course difficult but you just you just got to do it other other challenges yeah you know buying uh, the airplane was a challenge i i never bought an airplane i bought it by myself i did have a a mechanic take a quick look at it mm-hmm. but it was really a gamble when i bought this 1970 cessna 150. Yeah. Uh, I, I i got a really good deal for it, it i got it for under twenty thousand dollars so i got a great deal on it but it was it was stressful you know now i'm a plane owner and i don't know anything about it i had to have a buddy fly it home for me um i didn't even, i didn't have my solar certificate or anything i was like on my third lesson yeah right wow you were in boots <laughs> so, and all then yeah it was yeah. it was really a, a, a weird time but one of the things that made me decide to purchase an airplane was somebody said hey you know if you're going to fly 150 to 200 hours a year you should consider buying an airplane hmm. Uh, because at the end of this, do you want a handful of receipts or do you want to own an airplane and uh, or equity in an airplane? And, and I got to thinking that, okay, so – and I did the math of what it was going to cost for me. Say I don't get my first job for a 1,000 hours, I'm going to be paying for all the rental fees for that 1,000 hours. Yeah. And at, in California, you're looking at about $150 an hour. Right. I mean, you do the math, $18,000 isn't anything. and. I uh, I flew that plane. I I had that. I got my private in that airplane. I flew it for about 250 hours in six months. I sold it to my mechanic for exactly what I paid for it. Oh wow! So I got all that money back, and then I rolled that money into the Cessna 172 that I I still currently own. And I got my private and uh, commercial and everything else in. And you know I did have to finance part of that. I financed half of it. But my payment, because I financed it for 15 years, my payment was only $275 a month. Wow. I can't, one lesson yeah. is going to cost me more than $275 a month. Yeah. So these were, these were the reasons why I did it. 
And yes, I can afford it, but I'm not made of money. I'm a retired county employee. But uh, I, I will say that I'm a firm believer that things are things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And everything that has happened to me through this process, and I'm not like I said, I've had lots of hurdles. I've had bad days uh, and all that. But I would, I've had nothing but a great experience with this whole process. Nothing has happened to where that would turn me off of, of anything. And it has been and continues to be a fantastic experience. I am so glad that I did it. Again, met with hurdles, but nothing that, that shook me to the core that said, oh, this, this isn't going to work for me. And I'd, I'd beg the question, if you didn't have those hurdles maybe you wouldn't feel the same way. Maybe you wouldn't have that sense of accomplishment. <laughs> I tell people all the time, if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. This yeah. is hard. It is hard. This, I mean, I've been through the Sheriff's Academy. I've, I've worked for two police agencies. I've, I've, I've gone through a lot of things in my life. And I would say that this whole process tops them all. Wow. Uh, it really, really is. a. Um, and, I'm, and I'm talking... I think that if I were 21, 22 years old and I had five years to get through this and you just kind of like get through it or you go to ATP and they just give it to you and you just go yeah. through the process like you're going to college. But I mean, all of this was when you do it the way that I did it, it's all on you. There's yeah. nobody. There's no class that you have to go to. Yeah. You have to set them up. You have to go to them. You're, it's time for a check ride. you got to reach out to the, the yeah. examiner and, and uh, um, set it up, make it happen. So it was. It is an exhausting process, but uh, it's it's been fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've gone from a one fifty. You now own a one seven two. What model is that? Is it a I got the P model. P it's model? a nineteen eighty P model. Yeah. yeah, very nice airplane. And yeah. then, what else have you flown along the way in order to end up in a two hundred eight? I got my first job. Uh, I was still employed with the sheriff's department. I was. I went off on a medical retirement, so I had a, 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 a period of time where I was still on the books, but I wasn't working. Sure. So this company up in, uh, up in the upper desert and just north of where I live, they fly Cessna 210s and they chase UAV drones for the military. Uh, they're like a subcontractor. Right. I went to work for them. I, uh, I just got my commercial. I had about three or 400 hours of flight time, and I worked for them for about five or six months chasing drones and a Cessna 210. I was going to say, did um, you say chasing drones? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is that? It was, a fun, it was a fun job. What does that <laughs> even mean? Yeah, well, we just, for for the, the FAA requires that these drones flying in this particular area, and there's a lot of them. There, there was 14 pilots, and there's times where all of us were up, seven airplanes were up, it was a two-man operation. Uh, seven planes were up tra- chasing seven different drones, so... In this area, there's like four areas that have drone contracts with the military. So they're building them and and doing stuff. And the FAA requires, because it's such a high traffic area, that that there's eyes on the drone with direct communication to the operator on the ground. Oh, wow. So that's what we did. That's what we did. Yeah, it was a great time building gig. Yeah. If you didn't mind going up in a 210 and doing circles for four hours. I mean, literally, we'd be in like a holding pattern for like four hours just trailing this drone. Wow. So, yeah, so okay. It, so was, it was fun. It was a great experience. The organization builds the drone and basically you have to keep an eye on it because it's flying near a whole bunch of aeroplanes that are otherwise flying yeah. commercial or airliners or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But four hours of 
doing the same thing. But hey, someone else is paying for the time. And paying for the fuel, and yep. I commuted in my airplane to work every day. It was really, it was, it was a That's fun cool. gig. It was, uh, it was, it was really kind of a fun gig. I enjoyed it. That's cool. And so, from the two ten, what you were able to go to the two way wait, or was there something else in between? Um, I did. I left there. I went and got my multi done, and then yeah, I was just cresting the two thousand hour mark. Um, I had already been in communication with the chief pilot of. West Air, so I uh, we, we kind of already had something going on, and as soon as I got to the 1,200 hours, I called them, and they scooted me off in uh, flight safety in Kansas, uh, Wichita, Kansas, for the two weeks. So, yeah, they picked me up as soon as I hit the 1,200 needed hours. Oh, lovely. So you got to yeah. do, like, dedicated caravan, full-motion sim training at flight safety? Yeah. Then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's gold. Yeah. And do you fly uh, like a G one thousand van, or is it a steam gauge van? No, it's got a, a, a six. It's a it's a Garmin six hundred uh, with a Garmin autopilot. Very well equipped airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, synthetic vision. Yeah, it's oh, wow. it's uh, it's it's a great airplane. Well, the ones I had, they were all steam gauge. And for me, I went from you know through my flight training in the the Pipers and the one seven twos and a one eight two, and I did some time in an RG, and then did my instrument rating in a duchess and then it was from that to caravan so yeah. you know did the theory for the turbine endorsement and then you're in the plane and that was a shock to go from flying piston to turbine like that uh and, yeah. and my training was all like us so there was no sim time it was time in the aircraft it's a very very steep learning curve and I have to yeah, tip my hat yeah. to my senior pilot at the time, Tim on Eric. Yeah, tip my hat to him for his patience with me. Yeah, I've got the same story too. I mean, I really do feel that with my lack of uh, experience, even though I had 1,200 hours, I, I met the requirements. I, I was, I was, uh, I really got it. I owe it to my chief pilot for sticking his neck out for me and uh, helping me get through it. And because you're right, it was a big learning curve. I know it's it's a Cessna high wing. It's almost like flying a Cessna 172, but it's yeah. got a much bigger motor in it, and uh, it does a lot more things. Well, so, it's different uh, management, uh, right? It's different management. Yeah. I remember when I was doing my commercial, I was at the Aero Club uh, up in Toowoomba, this country town where I learned to fly, and and this. Um, I was just standing, talking to a couple of pilots and I was looking out the glass windows and this caravan touches down and it was the Royal Flying Doctors and, and it was their first caravan that they'd bought. And he's taxied over because he knew the chief flying instructor and some of the instructors at the school. He, he lands and he comes over and he starts having a chat and um, I remember one of the instructors saying to him, oh, what's the caravan like to fly? And he says, it's just an oversized 182 with a big engine. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Anyway, and then when I flew it, I was like, he was right. This is like an oversized 182 with a big engine. Flies just like, you know, except for your spoilers. And and then I flew a 206 and I was actually, to me, it was heavier on the controls than the caravan was. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the 210 was like, whether they were similar because I've never flown a 210. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was heavy on the control too. I loved flying the caravan. It was just such an awesome airplane. Yeah. Anyway, don't get me talking about caravans. We'll be here all day talking about caravans. <laughs> um, probably this segues into the, the next question that I wanted to ask you, and that is, so you've got to this point where now you're, you're flying a turbine. Where to from here? Where does Doug Wolf want to end up? You know, one of the things that I have really did throughout this process is I, I don't have any expectations. 
I mean, I have goals, but I don't have goals that I want to do something specific because so many doors have opened up along the way that what you want to do is probably not what you're going to do if you stick to that plan. True. I'm more of an opportunist. I'm, I'm a, I, tr- I try to be an opportunist that when a, when a good door opens, I've had some bad doors open that, that I didn't go into, but mm-hmm. any good door that opens, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do have this desire to fly big jets, part 121 stuff, but I don't know. There's there's also some very attractive stuff of flying, um, you know, like uh, uh, the fractional guys, net jets or flex jets. or So I really don't have anything set. Um, right now for the – I really love doing what I'm doing. The only complaint that I have is the schedule is really rough. Mm. Uh, early mornings, I don't get home until late at night, and uh, it's five and six days a week. Right. Um, they're, they're, it's a fantastic company. I love the company. I love the people. I mean, they truly are a professional organization. But I'm 58 years old. I've already done 31 years with the sheriff's department. So my goals change all the time. And right now I'm kind of trying to find someplace to work that has a seven on, seven off, right. uh, flex jet, next jet. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards that. But again, it could change. It could change. It really yeah. could. And honestly, I do have an opportunity to to go to another company, possibly flying the Pilatus PC-12. Nice. So I might do that. And it's a seven on, seven off. And also, I think it'd be a nice step up from what I'm doing. You know, yeah, natural progression from the high performance. Yeah. yeah. We'd we'll be doing a lot of cross-country stuff. And so... I might do that. I do have a, a start date with SkyWest training in October, uh, which I might do that. Yeah, okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just have opportunities and I'm just going to, but I will say right now that there, there is a side of me that just says, screw it, Doug, just stay where you're at. You enjoy doing what you're doing. They pay you well. It's just the schedule that's, if the schedule was better, I would just stay where I'm at. It really is a fun job. Yeah. I've seen some of those photos where you're flying. It looks incredibly picturesque. Like. Yeah. You could be flying over worse territory, that's for sure. Have you seen Outback Australia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I feel very fortunate to have the job that I have, and and it's going to take. It's it's going to be difficult to leave. But if I do leave, it's going to be for uh, a faster airplane and a better better schedule. Yeah, yeah, for the right reason. Yeah, yeah. for the right reason. I yeah. think that's an important point you made too. You said you've had a, a lot of doors open up, but they might not be the right doors, so you don't take them. Well, and also, I, I should mention that I'm not like other people that they aspire. You know, I, I sat down with a captain of, of Southwest Airlines who makes $450,000 a year, mm. okay? I don't care to make $450,000 a year. I'm not doing this for money. I mm. got a great retirement. So, I mean, like, if I find a job that, that's going to be making around $100,000 a year, I'm happy. Mm. It doesn't matter. So, I'm, yeah. not chasing, I'm not chasing money like, uh, like a beginning of a, of a career. I'm more doing it for ex- life experiences, meeting people, and a healthy lifestyle. That's right. And that draws back to what you said right at the beginning when we started talking. It was about why would you get into it in the first place? Because you could see the path that you were potentially, you know, on and what that might lead to. So life experience plays a huge part in it. If I can piggyback off of that, I get a lot of questions all the time. Hey, is 53, 55, 56, whatever, is it too old? Are, Are people going to shy away from me when I go to apply for these jobs? You know, that's exactly right, is that 
you know, if you, you have these life experiences of relationships, whether they've been through a divorce or whatever, and then jobs and paying bills and life stresses, and you've, and you've got to where you're at, even though you're not, a, even though you weren't law enforcement or a fire or military, there's so much stuff that a lot of these young folks haven't experienced yet. Mm. So a lot of times that these, these companies, they don't turn you away. They're, they're They want to talk to you because they know they're getting somebody that's been through all of that stuff, not just somebody who's very young that has got to get through that stuff. And mm. it may not fare well for them. They are always, uh, they've been very, very uh, good at uh, opening the door for me and very interested, uh, especially with my background. Well, that's good to hear. Very, very good to hear. Okay, Doug, I'm going to ask you a series of questions that I ask everyone. So strap yourself in for this. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite aviation movie is, although I'm kind of keen to hear it. (laughs) So you can throw that one in if you really want to. Can you tell us about a memorable experience you've had flying a particular aircraft and then what made that special to you? Oh yeah, it was uh, it was the day after I got my private pilot certificate. I flew my daughter to college in Los Angeles, and I was scared to death. I mean, I was she's my first passenger, and I'm flying into complex airspaces into Los Angeles, taking my daughter to her first day of college. And she, we stopped at uh, a place on the way and had breakfast and. Uh, and then took off from there and, and flew into, uh, it was next to Van Nuys, right by Burbank. It's called Whiteman Airport. Right. It's a towered airport. It, it was awesome. We both still talk about it. That's cool. That's very, very yeah. cool. What's one of your most fear-filled flight experiences? Uh, this last winter, of course, we've had the heavy rains here in Southern California and the excessive snow mm-hmm. and and. Uh, uh, we flew through that every day. Wow. Well, one, one day, um, I'm at 10,000 feet, got all my equipment on, all my TKS, I got my, my uh, pitot heat on, static heat on, our stall warning heat on, and, and uh, at 10,000 feet, I don't, there's no ice on my um, leading edges. Everything looks good. I'm doing 170 knots, and I'm, I'm, I do. I am getting these little sheets of ice on the on the windscreen that I'm that I'm I'm, I'm getting off with the TKS, and uh, so I'm at 170 knots, and then all of a sudden I'm down to 120 knots, like in a blink of an eye. Wow. From 170 to 120, and I'm in IMC. I mean, very thick IMC. So uh, I, I I gave as much throttle as I could for the 208, and I could barely keep. The 120. So, and it also, I used to, I used to pull horse trailers all the time. I used to pull really big horse trailers, and that's what it felt like I was pulling. It felt like I was pulling a big horse trailer. Uh, the sound of it and the feeling of the airplane. So I knew I was accumulating ice. So uh, I, I did not hesitate. I jumped on the air. I got ATC, and I said, "Hey, I need lower." I just uh, dropped airspeed significantly. He immediately did it. He did a great job. He got me down to 8,000 ASAP. Uh, I pointed the nose down, and it was turbulent, which I was glad because I wanted to shake that shake ice off, off my airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got down to 8,000 and, and leveled off, and, and things were working fine. All the ice, I could tell, was uh, off the airplane. Uh, windscreen was completely cleared, so I knew I was below the icing conditions. I made it to my airport without any other issues. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – that was a scary moment. And, and, but, you know, when I landed, I was so happy to see that runway and land. 
But when I sat there at the end of it, I was just so happy to have the experience. Mm-hmm. I did the right thing. I, I did what I was trained to do and made it happen. And it, it was a great experience. Do I want to do it again? No. <laughs> no and I probably will. But uh, I just, it, it wasn't one of those things you want to revisit. But it was something, uh, uh, it was an eye-opener, to say the least. And I guess in retrospect, if it does happen again, well, you, you've got that notch on your belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can deal with it. Yeah. 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 If you were given an expense-free opportunity to be endorsed on any airframe, what would it be and why? Oh, shoot. I guess I'd go for the Gusto and do like the Gulfstream G700 or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, why not? If you're going to do it, let's do it right, right? Yeah, fair enough. But, Very nice aircraft. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in aviation or even like me? And, and like I said, your story struck a chord with me because of my situation. So not necessarily a young pilot starting out, but someone maybe in the middle of it or, or returning to it. What advice would you give them? Well, one of the things that I learned is when with working for the sheriff's department is for about five or six years, I worked for our intelligence division. I really learned the importance of networking. That was our job, was networking and, and being able to know where to get things when somebody needed it. And so that was something that I really did when I when I started this was I, I did the networking thing, got to know everybody at the airport, um, surrounded myself with like-minded people with the same goals, looked for mentors uh, and found I got like four or five mentors that I lean on all the time and I still do, still do today. Mm-hmm. When I when I land at an airport, uh, I just don't land and then take off. I land, I get out, I walk into the FBO, I say hi, I introduce myself, um, I talk with people, I try to get to know them. That's how I got my little 150, uh, Cessna 150 was right. doing that. Yeah. And then uh, this job that I've applied for that I'm kind of in the process for right now was I landed at an airport. I was working. I landed in an airport. And I ran into this girl that uh, was flying this really nice uh, um, citation. Uh, she's a single pilot, and it was, I was like, "Hey, what do you?" So we got to talking. She had a she had a shirt on with I won't say the company name, but uh, the company's name on the shirt. And we got we just got to talking, and and uh, you know it was just like, "Oh my gosh, you, this would be a perfect company." And so we exchanged info, and three months later, I'm in the process with them. So, That's so cool. And it's, and it's just being, putting yourself out there and making things happen. Mm. You know, don't wait for things to happen, make them happen. Mm. I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm not an A-type personality, but I'm not the type of person that, I mean, I have to force myself to do this. It doesn't come easily. I have to make myself go introduce myself to those guys that I have no idea who they are. But you know, you know the importance of it. Yeah. And so... 99% 99% of the time, there's just a big nothing. We say hi, we introduce ourselves, and we're on our way, and nothing ever happens. But it's that one time or two times that something significant is going to happen. Yeah. Whether you're going to find a way to build some time in a cheap way, or whether you're going to find something fun to go fly, or have an opportunity to go fly that you wouldn't have, mm-hmm. or, or a potential job. Yeah. And then on top of that, when you're surrounding yourself with these people, identify the people who are not uh, looking out for your best interests. Mm. Maybe that are making comments, uh, whether it be that they're jealous or whether they, you know, don't don't understand why you want to do what you're doing. I, I, I've had all of these. I mean, I would say that 
99% of all the people that I've met have been completely supportive and understanding and, and on my, and on my team. But there is that 0.1% that you need to identify and create some distance, yeah. you know, and just, just, you don't need people like that around you. Yeah. You need to keep your chin up and, and get through this stuff. Uh, this one guy made a comment to me about my caravan job, single pilot IFR. He said something to the effect of, uh, you know, that's dangerous. I hope your company doesn't kill you. And it's like, you know, I don't need to hear stuff like that from the people that are in my circle. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you need to surround yourself by supportive folks. One of the things that I've loved what you've said, and I think it's it's one of my takeaways, was you own the situation. You didn't go along for the ride. You own the situation as far as your learning goes and as far as well your whole journey in aviation, whether the building the display cabinets for the challenge coins, whether that was just it was it worked out and it helped pay for it or not, I still think just even yeah. just talking yeah. with you in the last hour, I think you all just programmed or wired that way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you make it happen. And, and that's what I think yeah. is a massive takeaway from our chat, not only for me, but for the listeners is make it happen. Don't just let the tide take you where it's going to take you. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, here you go out and you find an instructor or you're going through a school. I mean, I think they're two different. I've never, I didn't go through a school. I went. I had my own prime or my own uh, independent instructor. But you know, you're kind of leaning on him to get you through the process. But you can do it and and take ownership of it. Don't allow him to set the pace. You set the pace and let him keep up with you. Don't try to keep up with him. And that also goes with the. You know, like, so it came to check ride time for my private and my, uh, my instructor said, okay, so I got your check ride set up with this guy. And I go, well, who's this guy? And so he tells me, and I said, do you have any other students that are using him? Yeah. They got two guys just went through it just now. And who are they? So I went and talked to them. Yeah. Both of them failed the check ride. Wow. So it was like, Hmm. So one guy was really squared away that I thought was more squared away than I was. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you failed. And then the other guy was not so squared away. So I could see why he didn't fit or that, that he failed, but yeah. the other guy was concerning to me. So it's like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I allowing this guy to pick my DPE? Mm. So I just so happened to run into a DPE uh, at a, another flight. Uh, a friend of mine has a flight school in, at the same airport. I walked into the office and I met this. He's a DPE. He was a former LAPD pilot for them. And so I got down and sat down and talked with him. And he was an awesome guy. So I said, hey, will you be my DPE? So my point is, is that you're the one paying the DPE. I'm the one, I'm the one giving him $800 to do my to do my check ride. Mm. So I want to, I want to give it to somebody that's, that I know. Yeah. So there's a couple points here is, so one of the points is try to meet the guy and try to get over that uncomfortable aspect of you just meeting him and now you have to perform in front of him. Hmm. So I met him, we sat there and talked for 30 minutes, had a great time. And so that, that part was over. Now I just had to go fly with him. He was still very tough on me, but I, I passed and it was good. I used him for a couple more of my check rides. So again, all about being in the driver's seat, make it happen. Don't allow people to, to, to set your, set yourself up. Do it on, do it yourself. Do it on your terms. Yeah. 
Oh, that, that's an incredible concept. And, and it, so it's a little, probably a little bit different over here in Australia where you can't become, I, I believe in, uh, in the States, they're called a CFI, Certified Flying Instructor, right? So you can't become over here a flight instructor and then just go and teach someone to fly. Um, you must be affiliated with an organization that has that air operator certificate. In my case, I was fortunate in that our chief flying instructor was a designated testing officer. So I did my private pilot's test with him, my commercial pilot's test with him. But then when I went off to do my instrument rating, I did that through a different flying school because the one I was at at the time didn't offer instrument flying. And so I went off to a different flying school and I did it with them and they didn't have a testing officer. I got tested by a CASA, so your FAA equivalent examiner. And it was very much what you just explained where I said to the chief flying instructor where I was at, so, you know, we've got this test coming up. Who's going to be my examiner? Oh, it's this guy, Alan Dunbar. That's who you want to call. And so I gave him a call and introduced myself and said, you know, I'd been recommended to him. We set up a date. He rocked up on the day. You know, it was literally five minutes of pleasantries and then, bang, it was straight into all the questions or, you know, the theory questions around the, the instrument flying flight test and then off we went. And like you said, I'd never heard it like that before. I had to perform for him. Now, yeah. this guy was amazing. He was really, really good. So I was very fortunate that the CFI yeah. put me onto him. I was lucky because yeah. I could have got someone very different. But that whole concept of if I could replay that again, having had this conversation, it would be give him a call. Let's go, you know, when are you, when are you at the airfield next? Let's grab a bite right after you go and do someone else's test and we'll have a chat. Yeah. I think yeah. there's a lot of value in that. Because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. the one thing that I'm very passionate about outside of aviation, and I'm very inspired by um, a guy by the name of Simon Sinek, who's a, a cultural anthropologist. He's, um, he's an English-born – he lives in the US. I think he lives in New York. And, and he's all about people and I'm all about people. So before you're my flight examiner, you're a human and I'm a human, let's – get to know each other as humans, you know, then we can deal with business. <laughs> That's some really good advice you've got there too, Doug. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to tell the world? For those who are retiring or moving on, it's, it's I know everybody says, it. no, it's not too late. It, it, it does take a tremendous amount of energy. And it, one of the things I know uh, I wouldn't have been successful if I didn't have the 100% support from my spouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's awesome. I mean, luckily, she's kind of in the game, too. She's a flight attendant, so she knows the, the, the whole world of, mm -hmm. of, of being a pilot or working in this industry. So uh, it would have been so difficult without her support. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it be the financial aspect of it, but also just the physical commitment of trying to get through all of this training. Because mm. it was, uh, you know, here I was a cop for 31 years, so I got all of this law enforcement related stuff crammed into this little pea brain of mine. And now I'm trying to purge it and, and get this new information in there because it's a ton of information. Oh, yeah. It's a ton of information, but it's, it's been a great ride. I can't wait to see what happens next. I mean, it's just, it's exciting. It's fun. I feel like, I feel like it, it is a, a career change, but it's a little different because I'm not doing it specifically for financial stuff. I'm doing it just for Doug and yeah, I want to make money and I want my, my family to benefit from all of my hard work, but it's not really about the money. It's it's more just about 
lifestyle you accomplish like, yeah, yeah yeah just doing doing what i want to do as a retired guy i mean it's just it's it's fun do you see yourself i guess if you go down the the regionals you'll you'd need to work towards your air transport pilot license is that something you've done already you've done the subjects for that or are you working towards it or is it no, just I'm working a- on my AT I'm working on my ATP right now I may go take it on myself uh, in the next few months uh, just because there's been a couple of jobs that have come my way that I've interviewed for mm-hmm. and the, the the crutch was oh you need to go get your ATP and come back mm. it's like ah okay yeah. so I, I'm probably going to do that. Of course, if I wait for SkyWest, they'll do it. And they'll pay for it. Right. But uh, again, I'm not quite sure what direction I want to go yet. So I may just go ahead and go do the ATP, go to Dallas, spend a week there, get it done. It's yeah. like $6,000. Pay yeah. for it, get it done, and be done with it. At least then, yeah, when yeah. those opportunities open, yeah, you've yep. got the yep. knowledge. That's awesome. As we conclude this inspiring episode, and I've truly been inspired, it's been amazing, Doug, and I really appreciate your time. I'd like to extend my deepest gratitude to you, Doug, for sharing your remarkable journey from law enforcement to woodworking entrepreneur and then ultimately now a commercial pilot. I'm sure you could agree, Doug's story is a reminder that age should never hinder us from pursuing our dreams. Doug's made that very clear. At 54 years old, he's embarked on his flight training journey, accumulating now over 1,500 hours of flight time, and flying one of my favourite aircraft, the Cessna Caravan, for West Air uh, FedEx Cargo Feeder. Doug's journey is a testament to the limitless possibilities that lie ahead when we embrace our passions and refuse to let age or circumstance hold us back. We congratulate Doug on his achievements and eagerly anticipate the promising opportunities that await him in the charter industry or the regionals or whatever you choose to do, Doug. (laughs) So thanks for joining us on the episode of the High Flow Media Podcast. We hope that Doug's story has inspired you to chase your dreams, no matter your age or background. Thank you so much for coming on, Doug. Really, truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me. Hey, I love talking about aviation. And if I can help anybody uh, along the way, it's even better. So uh, thanks for having me on. No, my pleasure. Thanks so much, mate. Have a good day and have a safe flight home. Thank you very much. Join us next time for more fascinating discussions. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to help out, feel free to leave a review. That'll help spread the word. Alternately, you can listen to the podcast on the HiFly Media YouTube channel. Music for the podcast is titled Dance With Me by Asha Lee, available at upbeat.io. The HiFly Media podcast, uncovering the people and passion behind aviation, one story at a time.